Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Uh, let's, let's see what the Lord wants to do this morning. I've got a little bit of time and I've got a lot to say. So uh, let's see what he wants to get into. If you got your Bibles, we love the Bible at the Rhodes Church. We get a little pumped about it, not near as much as we should, but we get pretty excited about it. So if you got them, let's open them up this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31. We can't talk about the pink elephant in the room. I did dress up today, but just get over it, okay? Just get over it. Like Everybody's like, hey, you going to a funeral today? What's up with that? I want to wear my clothes once in a while. If you're new here and you're like, man, I knew this one of them fancy places. Just come back next week. Come back next week. Oh, man. My wife got me this shirt for Christmas, and so I thought, man, i got to find a time to wear it. All right, enough about their clothes. Deuteronomy 31. Can I pray first? I just love Jesus. Lord, I I just want to yield everything to you and what you want to do. You're everything. You're all that we need. Yeah, just come and have your way. Speak to us, Lord. Take us where you want to go. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Been talking about uh, um, the courage to possess and it being the year of courage for us. And we do have the sermon notes available in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to follow along. Let's let's see where God wants to go with this. Deuteronomy 31, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord, your God himself, crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and Their land, when he destroyed them, the Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I've commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. I love that phrase. Be strong and of good courage. Look at your neighbor and tell him, be strong and of good courage. Your other neighbor needs that message too. Look at the other one. Say, be strong and of good courage. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For why? Because the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So we're strong and of good courage. We're not afraid. Why? Because God is with us. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. I like it. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one. He is the one. He is the one thing. He is the one thing. We sang about it. You are my one thing, right? I don't want anybody else. I don't want anything else. He is the one thing. He's the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I want to look back at uh, verse 3 to launch into this this morning. And it says, the Lord God himself crosses over 
before you. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. Who's crossing over before you? The Lord God himself. The emphasis is not on where you are going, but who is going with us. This is what has to be so important in our life. Where we're going, what we are doing is not as important as who is with us. Moses had this right in Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. He said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. It's easy to get more focused on where we're going and what we're doing than who is with us. And I believe it's paramount for us to focus on the who more than the what. Is Jesus with me? Is God in this decision? Is God going where I'm going? If he's not, put on the brakes, throw it in reverse, and get out of there. Do a donut, something. But we want to make sure we're with him. Just don't do a donut in our parking lot. (laughs) But isn't it right that we get focused on our career, our homes, our salaries, our retirements? Lord, what are we going to do? What about this? When, when, when's this going to happen? What about that? Jesus and a personal relationship with him oftentimes has become ancillary. What that word ancillary means, it means like subordinate or secondary. In other words, a relationship with God is usually in America, in Western culture, many times unto something. Like I will come to Jesus so that I will be blessed. I will pray to God so I will get X, Y, Z. I will spend a lot of time in prayer because I need something. I will come to church because I want to go to heaven. I will pray and read my Bible, do these things. But a relationship with Jesus and being with him, connected with himself, oftentimes is an accessory and it's something secondary, like we do it for one day a week for a couple hours. But God's wanting something 24-7 every day of our life, a connection to Jesus. If Jesus is only something you go do in a building, you're not doing Jesus. If my idea of Jesus is I come to a church and I sit in this church and then I go home and I do nothing else connected to God for the rest of the week, I don't have Jesus. I have religion. I may say I've got Jesus. I may say I'm a Christian. I may say I'm a good person. But I can say all that I want. But my fruit of my life will show who I really am. So if I'm not connected to him in relationship, then I'm only connected in religion. And if I'm not connected to him in relationship, I am not born again. If I am not born again, I will not go to heaven. How much do we need to drill down? I'm just wanting to address religion in our Midwestern culture and our everybody-goes-to-church culture. And I'm talking about do we have a connection and a relationship with Jesus where I open up his word and I say, God, I just want to hear from you today. Or is it I listen to this on Sunday and then it's Netflix and Amazon and TV and Visco and... Is it Visco? Yeah. Kids, help me out. I think it's Visco, right? Yeah, some kids don't even want to nod. They're like, I ain't saying nothing. (laughs) They're looking at me like, (laughs) it's okay. I'm not, (laughs) 
TikTok. Told one of my one of my kids the other day. I said, "Hey, come out of that for a minute." We just get so ingrained that we're missing all of this world out here. And adults can do it just as much. Their TikTok's your Facebook. Sorry, sorry, let's go. Chad, could you go back and let Greg come back up to the pulpit, please? (laughs) So our primary focus in life needs to be who is with us and who we're becoming. Who's with us and who we're becoming. Look what he says. So the Lord God himself crosses over before you, and what is he going to do? He will... He will destroy these nations from before you. He will destroy. Who will do the destroying? God will do the destroying. This is paramount. And again, I want to address some things today, maybe coming at some religious traditions a little bit, but I want you to take notes and be be aware, note takers or world changers, that this is what God's wanting to communicate to us. If we're going to possess what God wants us to possess, we have to look at the word rightly, we have to see the kingdom of God rightly, and we have to get past just coming into a room and putting in our time. We have to put ourselves into a kingdom. There is a system of God. There is a ways of God. We have to connect to God's ways and God's system if we want to get God's results. So he says, he will destroy the nations before you. So God said he would decimate, he would exterminate, he would overthrow, damage their enemies beyond repair. But here's one thing. It's one thing to consider this as a story in the Old Testament and just view it as something the historical to look at, and it's another thing completely for us to look at it from a vantage point of how does that apply to us in 2024? If God would destroy the nations and destroy the enemies, how does that apply to us? This is exactly what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. We sang the song at the very beginning, you have won it all for me. You have won it all for me. Jesus on the cross beat all the power of the enemy. He destroyed all of our enemies forever. He overthrew them. He he spoiled them. He disarmed them. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. Jesus did that for us. Why? Because we couldn't do it for ourselves. I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I'm not good enough to beat the devil. I can't do it on my own. So Jesus did it for me. We have to know that. We have to know that Jesus defeated the devil. I gave you some of these a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into these. But look at Romans chapter 6, verse 12. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let sin, what's that word? Do not let sin reign. You know what the word reign means? Not reign, R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N. What does reign mean? It means to rule. Do not let sin rule in your body. Does not mean sin will not try and tempt you, will not be there. There won't be issues. Well, you know, man, I missed that. I'm talking about that. There's a difference in I made a mistake and sin ruling my body. 
It doesn't mean sin is okay. It means I have a different viewpoint on it. When I don't do what God told me to do, I missed the mark, I didn't respond the right way, I, I got off track, whatever. Repent of that sin. There's one thing for that. It's another thing, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its desires. Sin has a desire. It has a way. So when sin comes knocking, we don't answer the door. We do not let it rain. In other words, when your sin or flesh tells you, do this, get back at them, say this, you got to say, you are not in charge. How many times have we said, well, I couldn't help it? It come out of our mouth. I saw I couldn't help myself. Oh, oh, yes, we could. It may be difficult, but we have to learn. We have to learn to bring our flesh under subjection or under the authority of the Word of God or the Spirit of God. So sin is not supposed to run the show. Well, I just, I just had these desires, man. Because here's what the world is teaching our children. If you feel it, do it. Whatever feels good is good. If you feel like you're this, then that's the truth. Whatever you feel is the truth. No, no, triple dog, no. What I feel is not the truth. What the Bible says is my truth. This is the truth of the word of God. Sanctify them. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth, John 17 says. So now when I understand that, I may feel this, but if he says that, then my feeling is lie and his word is truth. I can defend that feeling all day long. Say, well, it's how I feel. It's how I feel. I've done it. I've done that to God. I said, Lord, I can't help it. This is how I feel. He said, well, that's not what I said. You got to decide which one you're going to believe. You're going to believe how you feel. You're going to believe what I say. As long as you believe how you feel, you will be subjected to your lusts. Now, we think lust, we think about sexual perversion. Lust is just desires, right? So I didn't even get through the first verse. Yeah. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Anybody play in band? Anybody in band? Raise your hand. I know. We got two, four. Anybody in band? We need to bring band back. Man, bring band. I played the trumpet in band. Won the John Philip Sousa Award. Shout out. Sorry. But anyway, played the trumpet. And an instrument by itself. Did somebody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh? I thought I heard, "Uh uh-oh. I'm just going to hold it because it's plugged in and I don't want to unplug something and make a noise. This instrument by itself, can you hear it? Does it sound amazing? Isn't it beautiful? What is it doing? Nothing. Is anything wrong with the instrument? No, but is it doing anything? No, it only begins to do something when it yields to the ability of someone else to control it or direct it. He says here, do not present your members of your body as an instrument for unrighteousness. Don't let unrighteousness play you. 
Don't let unrighteous thoughts play you. Don't let them flow through you. Don't let them use you. The devil is wandering around looking for someone he can use, someone he can play. And he will send thoughts, he will send temptations, whatever. And we yield ourselves to serve, we become servants to whom we obey. Whether obedience unto righteousness or sin unto death. Who we yield ourselves servants to, who, to those servants we are. So what he's telling us to do here, do not yield your instruments to unrighteousness. Yield them to God. Say, Lord... Here's my body, here's my mouth, here's my hands, here's my feet. It's your instrument, play me. Let God play you. Let God use you. Let God say, I want you to do this, I want you to play this note. This. There are all kinds, there's all kinds of strings on here, all kinds of frets, all kinds of different notes you can play. There's all kinds of options. It's not just one thing that you can do on that instrument. One person can go, dum, 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 dum. Dump, dump. While somebody else goes, you get the picture? The second part is what we do for Jesus. Don't be an instrument of unrighteousness. I don't. I understand that the devil is going to come and he's going to bring suggestion thoughts to me. He's going to bring it to us, but we just can't let him play us. Dude, don't let him play you. Don't, don't let him play when you have the thought of how you, how you want to respond in selfishness or pride or arrogance or bitterness or unforgiveness. Don't let him play you. When that, when that thought comes to your mind and you're going to say something and you, you, you're going to say something and, and, you, and you feel it, you think it, you think, oh, that sounds good up there. It sounds good up there. I better let that out. It's going to sound as good out here as it does up there. No, it won't. I promise you it sounds a whole lot better up there than it does once it comes out. Don't let him play you. Don't let him play you. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, don't let him play you. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. We are delivered, friends, we are delivered from the power of sin. That's not to say we're perfect and we haven't made a mistake, but let's stop using, uh, uh, let's stop using grace as a crutch or an excuse to sin. Let's stop saying, well, nobody's perfect, so therefore I can sin and I can, no, stop. Let's stop using grace. That's not what grace is about. Grace is an enablement and an empowerment to live for God. It's an opportunity and an enablement. Grace to me is an opportunity from God that I couldn't get for myself, but it is also an enablement within me that I can do what God's called me to do because his grace is sufficient for me. So God's going to destroy all of our enemies. He destroyed sin. Let's look at the next part. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. You shall dispossess them. Who's supposed to do the dispossessing? Woo, so God does the destroying. We do the dispossessing. That's important. What the word dispossess means? To take possession of, to occupy, by driving out the previous tenants and possessing in their place. Inherit, expel, cast out, dr drive out, put out of occupancy. Dispossess, driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. There is a responsibility in this verse on God's side that the people could not do without him. And there is a responsibility on Israel's side that God refused to do without them. I'm going to say that again. 
There is a responsibility on God's side that the people could not do without him. And there's a responsibility on the people's side that God would not do without them. It's not that God cannot do. He would not do. And I'll show it to you in Scripture. We may not get to all of it today, but I'm going to show you. From the very beginning, even before sin, this was the plan of God. And the reason God put this on my heart, he said, Chad, I want you to break down the theological construct of the kingdom of heaven and come against the religious tradition. Because some people have it in their mindset a certain way theologically and it's limiting our life. It limits us. I'm the, I'm the same way. I'm still learning. I'm still growing in the kingdom. But one of the things that happens in our life is we get taught a certain thing and we don't know about, I said this down in Texas, I said one of the biggest uh, problems in the church today is biblical illiteracy. What does that mean? That means the church has been, um, 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 what's the word? We could use lazy. That sounds strong. But we could say (laughs) the church has been duped sometimes by the leaders of the church to thinking that we're the ones who study the Bible and you're the ones who just listen to us. That's what caused the dark ages. But there was the great reformation that said, we want the Bible to everybody. So now we need to understand, see, and how I know this is because, again, I've been in church, I've been pastoring for a long time, and I know that, let me say it right, Lord, not many people make decisions on where they go to church on theological reasons. A lot of people make decisions on where they go to church on social reasons. And I... I'm not criticizing, I'm just making an observation. Like some people will go to a church and I'm thinking, do you know what they believe? Yeah, but it doesn't matter, I've got a lot of friends there. Okay. I mean, that's, that's a decision you can make. True, it totally is. I'm, I'm only making a decision in my mind based on theological reasons. Like how are they teaching the Bible? Are they, are they allowing me to experience and, and receive everything that God has for me? And again, I'm not criticizing any one church. I'm just saying we need to make our decisions based on what the Bible says and not on social reasons or, or preference reasons. I, I want to go here because they're out by 1130. And Chad is never out by 1130. If I'm making a decision based on my preference or desire to watch football, I love football. But I don't want to make my decision based on that. I want to make my decision on Jesus. And so what what do I want to address in this? Let me get to it. From the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have... Let's get good theology. What did God say? Before sin, before the fall... This is in the very beginning. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, but let them have over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed. How how many genders did he make? Two. Male and female. There's only two. What you came out with when you were born, that's what you are. 
male and female. It's, I, don't, I don't care. It should not be controversial. What's the lie of the enemy we have to address in the church that's trying to tell people that God made a mistake when he made you the way he made you with the body parts he made you? You're not supposed to cut any off. You're not supposed to sew any on. You're supposed to be who you are as a man or a woman of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's not hateful. That's not mean. That's love to tell you God did not make a mistake with you. He knew what he was doing. You might feel something, but what I feel is not my truth. My truth is what God says. Made male and female. He made them. They're beautiful. Males are wonderful. Females are wonderful. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Whoa, I thought in the garden they're just throwing grapes at each other and just... (laughs) Things sound good up here, but they don't necessarily. <laughs> I caught him, Daniel. Subdue it. Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Subdue and dominion. Underline those words in your Bible. I told my wife the other day, I said, I'm going to stop the screens. She said, you threaten that all the time. And you keep making screens. I said, I want people to read their Bible. I want to bring their Bible so they can underline it, they can circle it, they can see it on their own pages. She said, okay. (laughs) I'll show her. (laughs) Sounds better up here to me. (laughs) Dominion, dominion, focus people. Dominion. (laughs) What does the word dominion and subdue mean? The word dominion means to exercise authority over, tread down, subjugate, rule over. The word subdue, the same, means to conquer, overcome, make subordinate, trample. I'm just curious. I'm asking this question. If this was before sin, then what were they supposed to have dominion and subdue? This is the very beginning. This is before sin. This is before the fall of man. So if God's telling you, I want you to have dominion, I want you to subdue, I want you to conquer, I want you to overcome, I want you to bring into subjection, what could he be talking about? How could he put that expectation when we're living in a perfect society with no opposition? Questions that I have to think in my head. I'm like, Lord, why are you telling Adam and Eve to subdue and have dominion when there's no opposition? They're just eating grapes. I don't know why I picked grapes. but The reason that God told him to do this is because he knew there was an enemy in the garden. And he gave them the power to dispossess. Why didn't God just kick that serpent out of that? wasn't his job. This is where people get nervous. This is where addressing the Calvinistic theology that God controls everything and he does what he wants when he wants and we have no responsibilities whatsoever. I'm just telling you, God wants us to understand the fullness that he has a role and responsibility that we cannot do on our own. We could never do it. We need him. And there is a role that he wants to do with us. Not independent of him, not on our own. We, apart from him, John 15 says, we can do nothing. So that means with him, all things are possible with God. So he said, there's a role that I want to play. So here's the serpent going up to his 
his creation, Adam and Eve. He says here, why don't you eat this fruit of, the, of what I told you not, of what God told you not to eat? Why didn't any good God, any good father walk up to them, slap that fruit right out of Eve's hand, slap it out of Adam's hand and said, I told you not to do that. Boom, zap, there goes the serpent in a puff of smoke. He's gone. We can go back to eating grapes. Why didn't it happen like that? Why did God allow the, the, the falling of entire humanity to happen right before his eyes? You ever think about that? That God knew that when they ate that fruit, they were going to be separated from him and it was going to cost him his son and he allowed it to happen. Why did that happen? Because it wasn't his job. He gave them a job. I want you to subdue and have dominion over this serpent that's going to come up to you and tempt you and tell you to eat the fruit that I told you not to eat. And if you will do that, everything's going to be great. But if you don't do your job that I've empowered you to do, why is that important? Because theologically, for us to understand the kingdom of God, we have to realize we have a role that we have to say no to the serpent that's trying to tempt us. The serpent is still trying to tell you and I. He's still telling us, did God really say did God really say that? Did, did, is God really going to do that for you? Who are you to think that God's going to do that for you? Why would you believe God? Why would you trust God? Why don't you go ahead and do it? If you'll do this and just take care of yourself and be your own God, man, you'll know good and evil and you can make all the decisions for yourself. Put yourself on the throne. Put yourself in charge. You're the man. You're the woman. Come on, it's all about you. He's still doing the same thing he did in the garden. So what do we have to do? We have to stay connected to Jesus. We are the ones that's supposed to dispossess. And I've got four keys on how to dispossess that we're not going to get to. But I will preview one of them right now. The first key to dispossessing, we have to know what belongs to us. Because this is what I'm kind of introing. If we don't know, this is what I didn't know. I'm going to come down just for a minute. It helps me close. Not really. If I didn't know what I had a right to fight for. I didn't know. I wasn't taught that. I, w I was just taught that, you know, if it's going to happen, Chad, it's only because God wants it to happen. If it doesn't happen, evidently God didn't know. I didn't know that I had an inheritance that I could possess and that I could dispossess, that I was tormented, I was bound, I was in sin, I had addictions, all of this was controlling my life and I didn't know I had any say-so in it. I didn't know I could dispossess the enemy. I didn't know I could say, wait a minute, God said that I was free from the bondage of sin and death. So that means you get off of me in Jesus' name. I didn't know I could do that. And I, I am convinced that most people don't know they can. I think they sincerely want to, but they don't know they can. And the first key to dispossessing the enemy is knowing that God said, that's your land. That's yours. Go get it. Well, who am I to think I... You are who God says you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you think you are to walk around in freedom and not have any issues? I am a daughter of the king. I am a son of God. That's who I am. It's not about me. It's what Jesus died to make me. I'm not walking around in arrogance and pride and my freedom. I'm walking around receiving, trying to receive the fullness of the freedom that Jesus died to give me. 
but I got to know that it's possible. I got to know that it's a right. Man, I want to dive deep into this one, but close the book. I'm convinced of this, guys. I really am. That the church has to have a revelation in your heart that you can dispossess the enemy. You can drive out the enemy. Not apart from God, not separate from God, not independent of God. I cannot emphasize that enough. But in partnership with him, that he was not knocking that fruit out of Adam's hand, and he's not going to knock the pornography out of yours. He's not going to knock that phone out of your hand and say, stop looking at that picture. He's going to stand there and see you looking at all the while, bringing things up in your heart, bringing thoughts to mind. And you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't. You're going to feel some conviction. And that's God trying to slap that out of your hand. But you have got to put it down. He's not going to make you stop doing this or stop doing that, but he's going to give you the power to do it if you'll agree with him. But I got to know I have a right to live in freedom. I got to know I have a right to say no. I got to know I have authority over the devil. He said, guys, Israel, this is your land. This is your land. Go get it. Go get it. The first key is they they had to know that's mine. How do, how do they know it's mine? Because God said so. How do you know what's yours? We can't be biblically illiterate and know the p- things we're supposed to possess. That's why that was me. That was me. I was a church guy. I went to church. Got my Bible, brought it to church. Went home, set it down. I'll see you next Sunday. I didn't know. I didn't know that I, what was in here. I didn't know what God did for me. I didn't know what Jesus died to give me and until I started reading about my inheritance. And we'll talk about that next week. But I, I had to understand, wait a minute. Chad, you can say no. I've given you authority over the devil. I destroyed your enemies before you. Now you dispossess him. Run him out. Run him out by occupying something different in its place. So here's what I want to do. Let's just bow your heads. Bow your heads with me. Thank you, Jesus. All of our locations, everybody just pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And I pray that God's speaking to your heart this morning. I know he's speaking to mine. I first want to give a call to the people here that may fit the category of what I started out saying that you have got a connection to religion, but you don't have a connection to Jesus. That maybe you've been a church kid your whole life, or maybe you've never been to church and you're just in here for the first time. I don't, I don't know what's happening in your life, but you know, here's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. God brings it into our heart that we know where we are. You know right now whether your life is right with God or not. You know whether you're in love with Jesus or whether you're just checking a box for your parents or checking a box for your wife, checking a box for your husband, checking a box for your kids. Can you say, I love Jesus and I'm going to give him my life every single day? Can I say that he's the Lord of my life or is he just a belief system that I agree with?
So if you're listening to me this morning and you say, Chad, that's me. Either I've never given my life to Jesus or now that the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart, I don't know that I'm saved. I, I've wandered away from God and I don't know where I am, but I know I want Him. I know I need to be with Him. My prayer is that you receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not be afraid because that is the love of God drawing you. If you're feeling that, don't feel bad. Feel good. Because people without conviction are just running on through life and they're not hearing the voice of God. If you're hearing that right now and you're like, I am not where I need to be with God and I want to get right with God, that is the best place you could be to hear the voice of Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.